John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is the children. No children are moving. Oh, sick. They're all sitting still. Oh, wow. All right. John chapter 14. Um, just something as I've been preaching through this first part of the year, um, unbeknownst to me, I, I'm, I now see where God's leading to the thought of prayer, the thought of prayer uh, in the church and in our families and, and as individuals. And uh, so it's just kind of leading up to that, to that thought. You know, I'm convinced the greatest thing that we can do to help our churches advance the cause of getting the gospel out to the world, to be effective at teaching the church, to know and to observe the commandments of our Lord, for us as individuals and collectively as a church and as families to live out the Great Commission comes in a single powerful term or form called prayer, called prayer. And I'm hoping that you'll be able to see that and feel that, which is very difficult for me to, to fully explain. So I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit will speak to you today through this message. You know, prayer is so needful that Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, to pray without ceasing and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Prayer is so powerful that our Lord said in John 14, 14, if ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. That is a powerful statement. And it is something that we can attain. But let's look at the context of the verse in John chapter 14. He should be there. These are the words that he spoke to the twelve apostles after the Last Supper. John speaks a lot more than the other Gospels in this time uh, during the, uh, the Last Supper there and in his way to the garden and the way to the cross. Jesus gives a lot of words that John uh, writes down, he says, John 14, 1, let, your heart, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know. And the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, he says this, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, 
shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. Prayer here that is correct has a few common characteristics. Number one, it results in the sole work of God and no other. Even Jesus did not claim to his works, but it was of the Father's works through him. What a statement that is of the greatness of the Son of God. The result of correct prayer is also the lifting up of Jesus to the glorification of the Father. And number three, correct prayer can never fail. But being in the proper place of prayer, to pray according to God's will, to pray in faith, to pray in the name of Jesus is not a simple task. Besides being a wearisome task of the flesh, getting to the proper place of prayer whereby we may make the prayer of faith that God hears and will do is quite the task. Last week we learned that abiding in Him leads to abounding in His Word which results in abundance of fruit for the asking or what we call prayer. I hope you'll see that Really, the fruit that we're to bring is really just asking and God delivering. All we have to do is ask, but we must ask correctly, and this is where the problem lies. First problem is that we lack personal time getting to know God. To understand who He is and His unchangeable attributes, to spend time asking God to reveal Himself to us through the Holy Spirit of God, that lives inside every believer. This is done through delighting yourself in His Word. This is accomplished by daily reading and meditating on His Word, daily asking God questions about His Word, and daily giving thanks and praise for Him. It's a daily developing relationship. Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation, Selah. Abiding in Christ is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day experience. It's not a once-a-week Sunday shot in the arm. I've been married now for over 42 years, and I know her pretty well. I don't think there's been, I'm not sure, maybe back when there wasn't cell phones. But I don't think there's been a single day in my marriage where I've not communicated with my wife. How much more important is our relationship to God? You have heard of spending quantity of time and then having quality of time. They are both important. Besides spending a quantity of time with my wife, I also try to study my wife what she likes, her moods, and what they mean, and, and it takes study. Most men might say this is above their pay scale. <laughs> but what it takes is intention, intention, intention to learn. This is a problem we have with studying God's Word. It's an intended time to study, to know it, to organize it, to be able to teach it to your children, to lead people to the Lord, to 
disciple new believers. Knowing God and studying God goes hand in hand. Doing these things together leads to correct doctrine. A lack of either one is a road to religion, lawful living, and wrong doctrine. And that results in a misguided prayer life. In James 4, verses 1 through 5, we see a lack of prayer to what James calls fightings and wars among us. Another Bible word for fightings and war amongst us is prating. And, and I wanted to repeat that this week because the, the definition really hits strong what prating is. It means to talk foolishly or at tedious length about something. And then I thought, well, there's a, there's a word today that we're more familiar with this. Today's term for that is drama. get caught in the drama of stuff and spend our time in there. James tells us that this leads to prayerlessness because we're all talking about stuff. We don't have time to sit there and really pray for somebody. We're too busy talking about people. Then James reveals that our prayers can miss the target simply because we are seeking our own will and our own pleasure due to the love of the world in our life. There's a ministry I just learned of this just a few days ago of I just want you to get the drift of this it's a helping hands ministry and it's uh, I think mothers that are involved in this and it's a ministry where any child can get clothing for their school okay and the basis is behind it is because they need, it's not just clothing to keep them warm or, or, or those type of things. It's the up-to-date clothing. So they're not, that they're not bullied and things like that. And I'll tell you what, there is a truth to that. And, and, the, and the world's not going to change. It tells you what you should wear. And it tells people how you should bully people who don't because it, that's what it wants. I mean, the real problem is, is not, not having the right clothes in school. The problem is the world, and that world is so strong that it does this, that we have ministries to help kids have clothes that are acceptable to other children in the school. Now, I know that sounds kind of bad, but really, I hate to say it this way, but that's what the school system is, it's the world. And uh, so I kind of understand it, as sad as that is. So we get caught in the world. Besides the wrong praying, there are also situations that can hinder even good, faithful, righteous prayers. 1 Peter 3.7 says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. And I love that. Heirs together of the grace of life. When you think of your marriage, think of that term. Heirs together of the grace of life says that your prayers be not hindered. In other words, when your relationships aren't right, that can hinder the prayer life. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hast aught against thee, leave 
there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Now you might say, well, that has nothing to do with praying. Let me, when you know God, you understand his principles, there's a principle here. There's right things and, and he's saying you need to have right relationships before you get to other things in life. And before your prayers are going to be right, your relationships need to be right. See how difficult it is? Yes, we can ask anything in, in God's name. But we better learn how to get there. We've got a lot of work to do. There's one glaring reason that our prayers do not even reach the ears of God, that God says He is deaf to prayers that He says He will not hear. And that reason is, is when we have sin reigning in our life. It is when we are dirty, dirty before God. The title of today's message is, You Don't Have a Prayer. You Don't Have a Prayer. Father, as we come before You, Lord God, I pray You just speak to our hearts. We want to get to the point where we can bring fruit unto You. And all we have to do is ask. But we need to get to that place. We're in the place, the right place of asking. We need to be in the place where we're asking the right things. To where we know, by faith, you will do what we ask of you. And it will produce your fruit. Fruit that will remain. And so, Father, I just pray you speak to our hearts today about our prayer lives. It tells a lot about us. And so, Father, help me be a pastor who will pray more than what he does now. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Micah 3.4 says, Then shall they cry unto the Lord, and He will not hear them. He will even hide His face from them at that time, as they have be behaved themselves ill in their doings. 1 Samuel 8.18 And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. Remember they wanted a king. What a, it's like one of the saddest parts in the Bible to me. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Job 35, 13, Surely God will not hear vanity, neither will the Almighty regard it. Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know, in Isaiah chapter 1, I read that last week, after a long dissertation concerning the details of the degradation and ungodly position of the nation of Israel and Judah. God, through the mouth of Isaiah, makes this final statement to them. In verse 15, he says, And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear you. And then he says, Your hands are full of blood. It's interesting that God sees blood. <laughs> on our hands when we are dirty vessels. Clean lives promote life. Dirty lives or uncleanness promotes death. We see this example early on in the book of Genesis when Cain refuses God's offer to be clean before him. He rebels against that and it took little time before he went and killed his brother Abel. He had bloody hands. That's just a simple, that's where it goes too. We're either about life or we're about 
death. Now, however, in Isaiah chapter 1, God gave a cure to the filth of Israel and Judah. If you would turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 16. This is what God gives the cure to dirtiness. Isaiah 1.16, he says, wash you. Wash you. God says to wash you. There's only one compelling reason to wash, folks, because you are dirty. That sounds simple, but the fact is people struggle with seeing that they are dirty. Even when it is revealed, we fight against the messenger of God that, uses, that he uses to call us out. We then minimize and justify the offense. There's only one thing to do when God says you are dirty. And that is to say, I am wrong. God is right. You practice that. Practice that simple little thing. You'll be amazed at what that does. You'll be amazed at the cleansing feeling that you'll... You say, I am dirty. That is true washing. Then God says, make you clean. Ever go into the kitchen drawer and find a fork that still has some dried gunk on it? <laughs> Everybody's shaking their head. Happens, doesn't it? I never doubt that it got washed. But this I know, it was not made clean. Now you kids are probably going to get Get a lot of uh, scolding for that when you do the dishes. I mean, because you just throw it in the water and, and through. We may admit sin to God and give a ritual statement of, I'm sorry. Are you really sorry? Or are you like the little kid who has to be forced by his mom to say sorry to their sibling for something they've done? They say it, but they don't mean it. Sorry. We need to have godly sorrow for what we have done. I believe that God's method here is an orderly progression to be clean before God. Steps, one step before the next step, and no missing of these steps. He then says, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. We must then get rid of the source of our doings. This could be wrong company. A wrong store, wrong websites. Yes, for sure, we're talking about pornographic material, but continual shopping of all the things you didn't know you need, whether that is sporting goods, clothes, furniture, or whatever, that waste your time and money on personal pleasure can be an evil as well. Perhaps it's social media. Books. People like to read, some people like to read books and can just get lost in reading Book after book after book. TV. Close to home, that's about the only thing they have up there. And they watch a lot of TV or news that consumes you. You can have all your excuses. But if you refuse to see it for yourself, if you won't admit to it, you are stuck back at step number one. You don't think you're dirty. So you ain't going to wash. Because we don't wash anything, 
we don't see it as dirty. And if you wash it for the sake of pacifying somebody else, you will just dip it in the dishwater and let it air dry in the drainer. You don't care if it's clean or not. You just said to do it, so I do it. You see where you, where you fall apart right off the bat here? If you want to get prayers to God, it's, this is where it starts. Then God says to cease to do evil. I want you to turn to John chapter 8 real quick, if you can. John chapter 8, a very familiar story. But it's amazing to me what Jesus says at the end of this event that happened. In John chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. And with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went one out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. There's no doubt she did it. She was standing there. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thou, those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. It's interesting if you look in the Bible who calls Jesus Lord. There's many who call him a master and teacher and, and all these things. I believe this, this lady was saved. She was a born again, believed in God, caught in her sin. Didn't have anything to say. And you would think that maybe Jesus would give her down the road, maybe a whole lecture. You know, that's kind of how we would do, wouldn't it? <laughs> he says, neither do I condemn thee. And then he says, go and sin no more. That's pretty powerful words. In other words, stop doing that again. What a great, wonderful God, loving God we have. Next, God says, then to learn to do well. Learn to do well. Ever notice that rehabilitation programs have meetings that are designed to teach, not only to get away and stop doing the wrong, they direct the offender to do what is right. Let me tell you something. This is a lifelong step many times for many of us. It is called planned accountability. And, from, and for some, this must be a very strict suffering of a loss of liberties for us. Things that normally we... Somebody should be able to do, but they can't because they've got a problem with it, got an issue. Let's just not put this in the more wicked categories of immorality and drugs, but what about the music? 
we listen to. But let's get down to a health problem. Perhaps we need to have a strict guideline of what food comes into our homes. That the food that is there only allows us to do well. We must put ourselves in the places that teach us to do well. If you have not put it together yet, a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching, and Bible-practicing church is a God-given place to facilitate cleanness before God. Jesus knew we needed a church. There's always a temptation to pass by this step, to pass by it much too quickly. Ever notice, and I've, I've seen this several times with several different people, a former drug addict gets clean, finishes the rehab program, and the first thing that they want to do is immediately go out and to be a substance abuse counselor. That's what they want right off the bat. They got it all figured out. Wanting to jump right into doing something for others when, man, you need to take some time need to consider this to stay in a place of being clean. Our society has a tendency to push people through programs, perhaps because they're so crowded. We must be careful not to think we have our problems fixed before we go to the place whereby we help others. And this is the final step of being clean. It is the point where your focus comes off of yourself, finally, to the well-being of others and need. God says these are the activities of the clean. Just seek judgment, he says in Isaiah to relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widows. When we are clean, we are in position to help others in need. When we were unclean, we took the life of others. That's what we did. That's what we do when we're unclean. We were thieves of society. We were murderers. We have blood on our hands. Ephesians 4.28, let him that stole steal no more, but let him but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Life is all really about the giving. Jesus is the example of that. We are to serve others. That's the place we need to be. Clean lives serves others. And God hears the prayers of clean servants. Those who are dirty are not in the position of prayer. They are in the position to be cleaned. When a child comes before you and he's done wrong and he wants to talk to you and he wants to tell you all these things and give you the excuses, you tell him to shut up and we're going to deal with the problem. And that's where God is. I don't want to hear what your prayers and what you... We've got a problem here. This is what we need to solve first before I even hear anything else we need to deal with this situation now there's a lot said about being clean in the Bible whether it refers to spiritual outward physical inward mental sickness diseases foods or otherwise but let me begin to make just a few initial comments concerning the term cleanliness. 
There's one cleansing that takes place and makes us clean eternally before God, and we had nothing to do with that except that we accepted that cleansing from sin that washed us totally with innocent blood, and that the blood of Jesus Christ. It was done once and for all. And those who have trusted in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb, as the song says, Jesus have been forever transformed. Paul said it this way concerning his call to the Gentiles in Acts 26, 18. He said, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith in me. Now verse 18 in Isaiah chapter 1, we often use to describe this once and forever cleansing. He says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is an amazing thing, to be totally cleansed, to be righteous before God. Jesus puts His righteousness upon us. That's one cleansing Here's another thing about cleansing of sin. Even when we are saved eternally from the penalty of sin, we as children still deal, as children of God, we still deal with sin in our life. We are eternally accepted as God's children, but like children of our own, we struggle with sin, with doing right. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, let's talk about who is clean and who is not. Now, I'm going to talk in the physical realm here, okay? If we were to take someone who we might say is filthy dirty, suppose we think of a homeless person or perhaps an an older person in a home whose hygiene is less than ideal. Probably been around some of that. There's still people. I'm not degrading anybody in this situation. Then think of a person who is a germaphobe, constantly bathing, washing, brushing, flossing, hand sanitizer, usage, uh, hand hand sanitizer usage constantly, you know. (laughs) They dust every day with antibacterial wipes, have air purifiers in every room. You get the point. You have this person, you have this person. Now I want to imagine a million people in between that at various levels going from least to the greatest. Where would you draw the line of who is clean and who is not? And please don't tell me to divide it in half. I believe we see in Isaiah chapter 1 that cleanliness is not a destination, not some sort of point, but it's a continual mindset. If I could put Isaiah chapter 1 with the imagery of keeping children clean, we will work at instilling the proper mindset in them. Look close, first of all, look closely in the mirror for dirt. We'll teach them to look for it. 
We would tell them to wash frequently, to scrub behind the ears, make them clean. Don't play in the dirty areas anymore, not where the dog is over there. Don't you love it when they come in, that old smell at the bottom of the shoes that I can never get rid of? Wash the dirt down the drain. Quit playing in the dirty area. Find a cleaner place to play. Teach your other siblings to be clean. It's a mindset. Cleanliness, clean people have a mindset. It's an everyday, daily kind of thing to stay clean. It's not a destination. I've, I've been, there's been some times where you'd say, I was the example of that dirtiest person. <laughs> and there's times where I'm all just cleaned up perfectly. But it's the mindset. Cleanliness is a mindset. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. This is a continual daily thing we must do. I am wrong. God is right. Please forgive me. And clean. So I don't want to lose track of where we're going with the benefit of being clean. When we are not clean before God, He does not hear our request. The focus is on getting clean. Cleanliness is the first step for our prayers even reaching God's ears. We are to clean up before coming to God. We are to snuggle up to know God personally. We're to study up to know how He works. We're to shut up the drama in the life. And now you're getting in the position to ask in faith, believing, which leads to expectations, looking for the fruit of that prayer, which results in putting the fruit in your basket. Fruit that remains, that never rots or rusts. Eternal fruit to present to the Lord of the vineyard to render Him His fruits in the harvest time, which is now, folks. Which is now. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. When Brother Mike was talking, we're going to go before the judgment seat of God. We're going to go through a fire. Talk about the eyes. Maybe it's those eyes that's just going to burn everything up. Only what's going to be left is the eternal fruit. I suppose the messages from God since the first of the year can be summarized as fruit for the asking. We get the fruit by the asking. It is the cry. I want you to think of a vineyard. It is the cry of the branch to the vine for the nutrients only the vine can supply that is rooted in God that turns the seed into fruit. Many obstacles keep us from being in the right place for asking and asking for the right things is work. It's a work we must engage if we are to produce fruit. Fruit is for the asking. It's a hard thing to 
But that's what the Bible says. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, Jesus speaking. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me he can do nothing. John 15, 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. John 15, 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye ask, of the Father in my name, he may give it you. I'll just leave you with a Whatever we ask in the Son's name, in the Father's will, it says He will do it. He will give us what we need to produce fruit. It will happen. But we've got to ask for the right thing. We've got to be in the right position to do that. I haven't done a whole lot of study. It might be interesting. Maybe Tim and Esther, I think you've got a great place to put a vineyard down in those valleys because it's nice and cool through the night there, which is good. For vineyards, be interesting. <laughs> I'm guessing you'll find a lot about this and about how to grow fruit. And so I hope to this morning, this afternoon, that you'll see that really we just—it's all about prayer. It comes through prayer, drawing what for of Him and through Him. And to him, this, by the way, this fruit is back to him, are all things to whom be the glory forever. <coughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, uh, as the pianist comes to play, thank you for these thoughts. I pray that the Holy Spirit is pointed to areas in our life that we can produce, that we can see our lives as Christians to produce fruit to get in the place of prayer. To get cleaned up before God. To know Him, to love Him, to learn of Him through His Word. Fall in love with God. Love. We've been learning about that in the church. It's a primary thing. To be in love with God. Then to know His Word, to know you. To get away from all the drama that's in this world, but to just get on our knees and ask for something we know that's of your will. And we know that we will have it and we'll produce fruit. 
fruit that is eternal fruit. Fruit that the Bible says that will remain. Amen. Thank you for... Uh, attention. I pray the Lord just spoke to you and it has drawn you away to uh, just see uh, what that verse, ask and I will give it you. That's not, that's an expectation. He wants us to be there. It's not some like far away thing. Let's think about what we got to do to get there. To ask and know that he will give it to us. Father, thank you for all who's come today. Well, God, uh, I just pray that your Holy Spirit worked in our lives today because that's the only thing that will really do a work that's eternal. Now, Father, I want to thank you for each family here. Lord, pray for those who haven't been able, weren't able to make it today. And uh, Lord, just pray for our church that as we move forward that uh, we would become more fruitful, that we would grow in the right way, not with a bunch of leaves and fancy things, but with fruit, eternal fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.